Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 7 of the Fantasy Law Guy podcast. My name is Nick Grisco at Fantasy Law Guy on Instagram. Thank you so much for tuning in today's show, a fantasy football preview of the New Orleans Saints. Hakeem dropped the ball! Hakeem dropped the ball! He did what? Playoffs? What are talking about? Playoffs? Who the hell is Mel Kiper? They are who we thought they were. We let him off the hook. Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. What the hell's going on out here? Cannot play with him. Cannot win with him. Cannot coach with him. Can't do it. Can't wait. You like that? You like that? Just keep a trick the ball down the field, boy. I saw, son. I saw. Hello? You play to win the game. today's show, I'm going to be giving a very extensive breakdown of the fantasy outlooks of Drew Brees, Alvin Kamara, Michael Thomas, Jared Cook, Emmanuel Sanders, Latavius Murray, and even Will Lutz and the Saints defense slash special teams. But before we do that, let's kick off with some fantasy news. I was at a wedding in South Carolina this weekend, so congrats to John and Sarah, but because of them and because I had my guest Patrick Feast on last episode. I have not been able to break down the recent news bits. So I do apologize in advance for kind of backtracking a few days, but I do want to cover everything from a fantasy football perspective, and I will try to get through everything quickly. First up, Derrick Henry signed a four-year, $50 million contract, $25.5 million guaranteed. He was set to play on the franchise tag, and it was possible he was going to join Dalvin Cook in holding out. But now he doesn't have to. Derrick Henry started pretty slowly in the first six games with Marcus Mariota at quarterback last year. It was 113 carries, 416 yards, four touchdowns on 3.68 yards a carry. He was only averaging 14.63 fantasy points per game with Mariota at quarterback. And then once Ryan Tannehill took over, he was absolutely unstoppable. Henry's final 12 games and his 12 games with Ryan Tannehill starting. And that includes nine regular season games and three playoff games. I like to increase the sample size for better accuracy. Derrick Henry, 273 carries, 1,570 yards, 14 touchdowns, 5.7 yards a carry, and 22.5 fantasy points per game. That is running back number two pace. Good job. Keep up the pace just ahead of Dalvin Cook, and obviously behind Christian McCaffrey. So RB2, Derrick Henry was, with Ryan Tannehill under center. According to John Paulson, 444 football, at 44 underscore John, Derrick Henry is averaging 22.7 touches for 128 total yards on 5.44 yards a carry and 1.23 touchdowns in his last 22 games, including the postseason. Because remember... Derrick Henry finished the 2018 season on a massive tear as well. So he's been quite the fantasy stud in the last 1.5 seasons. I mean, look at some of these game logs to close out the season in what I think was, frankly, one of the greatest rushing stretches of all time for any running back. Week 17 against Houston, 32 carries, 211 yards, three touchdowns. Week 18 against the Patriots' league-best defense. Henry single-handedly put the Titans' offense on his back. 34 carries, 
182 yards, one touchdown with a 22-yard catch. And then week 19 against the Ravens, 30 carries. So that's three straight games with 30 carries here. 195 yards. Actually, he had a passing Tim Tebow-like touchdown in that game as well. So that's three straight games with at least 30 carries, at least 182 yards, and a score in each game. The Baltimore Ravens spent the entire offseason trying to beef up their defensive line solely because they were so embarrassed by the way that Henry gashed them in the second half of that game. He played at least 30 to 49 snaps in every single game last season, and he's only missed one or two games his entire career. He actually missed that Saints game last year in Week 15. So he's missed one or two games out of, what, 48 games in his entire career. He is pretty game script dependent, and he doesn't really contribute much in the receiving game. He had 18 catches on 24 targets last year. He did have 206 receiving yards and two touchdowns, but those numbers were very inflated by a 75-yard screen pass that he took to the house in week one against the Browns. Henry only averaged 1.5 targets a game. And the Titans did draft Darrington Evans in the third round at Appalachian State to play the Deion Lewis role to come in on obvious passing downs. So they can talk about using Derrick Henry in the passing game all they want. I don't think that's the Titans' plan to change Henry's role as a, as a receiver. But it's worth noting that the Titans have the softest projected backfield schedule per Sharp football analysis, per Warren Sharp. And he's kind of the go-to guy in strength of schedule analysis in the fantasy football industry. So now that he's not holding out, I think this does solidify Derrick Henry as not only just a first-round pick, but I think you can make the case that he's a top-three pick in non-PPR leagues. And his average draft position should land around picks six to eight in PPR formats. And now we just got to see what Joe Mixon does with his contract, if anything. The second bit of news involves the Philadelphia Eagles. According to Philly's The Philly Voice's Jimmy Kemsky, Alshon Jeffrey is quote-unquote, almost certain to start the season on the PUP list, which means he'd miss at least the first six games of the 2020 season. This news is more of a confirmation of what we already thought. Don't draft Alshon Jeffrey. Just please, don't do it. He should not be on your fantasy radar for any reason whatsoever. His foot is just not right. Uh, Next bit of news, A.J. Green. We're on to Cincinnati. It's nothing about the past, nothing about the future. Right now we're preparing for Cincinnati. Signed his franchise tag tender and will report to training camp. Green sat out all of last season because of his foot injury and arguably because the Bengals sucked. And neither he nor the Bengals wanted to risk getting or him getting hurt in what was inevitably a lost season. There was also rumors that there was a contract dispute and he wasn't playing even when he was healthy. But anyway, this is great news that he is reporting to camp. He's 32 years old and he has dealt with surgery on his toe in 2018 and obviously the foot injury last year. In the eight games in 2018 that he played, he was on pace for a 90-catch, 1,374-yard, and 12 touchdown season. He's averaging 18.7 points per game in those eight games that he started and finished. And if you extrapolate that to a full season on last year's fantasy finishes, that would have finished as the wide receiver three. So in short, the last time we saw A.J. Green play, he was a wide receiver one in fantasy football. 
And now he's got rookie quarterback Joe Burrow. Tyler Boyd is there. The Bengals drafted T. Higgins, 33rd overall in the draft, who I presume they believe is A.J. Green's eventual successor. His consensus average draft position right now is pick 65 overall. Certainly a big boom or bust element to his projection. I was totally out on A.J. Green last year because he had the injury that was supposed to initially have him sidelined for only, what was it, the first four weeks of the season. And I'm just a total injury pessimist. And I hate optimism and I hate fun. It's not funny. It's not fun. Nothing's funny to me. So I was like, yeah, I bet. Yeah, first four games, sure. Let me tell you. And in this case, it actually worked out. Uh, but this year, I'm actually in at that cost because A.J. Green is going in drafts at a very similar spot to where he was last year. And now he's going into the season healthy and not projected to miss the first four games. So we're getting the same injury discount as last year with a reportedly healthy player who, when he last played, was still an elite talent and produced as such. So now I don't really expect him to go out there and put out wide receiver run one numbers. I really don't. But I do think he's a value where he's going, even if this news does drive up his draft cost just a little bit. All right, moving on. Colts offensive coordinator Nick Sirianni said that T.Y. Hilton is who, quote-unquote, the pass offense runs through. He said, I expect a great bounce back from a year where he had a lot of injuries. I expect the 2018 version of him. If T.Y. stays healthy, there's no doubt that's what we'll see. He's still the main piece of this offense. T.Y. Hilton is who this pass offense runs through. So that was the full quote right there. T.Y. Hilton in six games last year, and I'm talking about his healthier games because he had a completely injury-washed, injury-plagued season. We can't really take much of it. But he started weeks one through three. He actually exited in uh, week three against Atlanta uh, just before halftime with a quad injury. He missed week four, came back for week five, and then the Colts had a bye in week six, and they played week seven and eight before T.Y. Hilton went down with a calf, in- calf injury. And after that, he barely played the rest of the season. So I'm just using the sample from his six seemingly healthy games before he had the calf injury. In those six games, T.Y. Hilton, 16.33 fantasy points per game. That was actually wide receiver 10 pace before suffering the calf injury in week nine. And that was with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback. Now he's being drafted at wide receiver 23 with Phillip Rivers at quarterback. I actually have T.Y. Hilton as wide receiver 16 on my board. So I'm much higher than expert consensus on T.Y. Hilton. The receivers that T.Y. Hilton is competing with for targets are Michael Pittman and Paris Campbell. They have Jack Doyle at tight end. So those guys do have upside with the exception of Doyle. But Pittman and Campbell do have upside. But they're young. And I think Hilton is definitely the go-to guy here. He's entering a contract year. He's age 31, so this may be the last chance at a big deal a big deal for T.Y. Hilton. And he's always been very quietly efficient for fantasy. Before last year, T.Y. Hilton had six straight seasons with between 109 and 155 targets, between 966 yards and 1,448 yards, and between four and seven touchdowns. So you kind of know what you're getting every year as long as he stays healthy. And the numbers that you are getting are better than where he's being drafted. And the last little nugget I'll give about T.Y. Hilton is in weeks one through three, before he had any injury, even the quad injury, remember I just said he left week 
3-3 right before halftime. So actually, it was the first 2.5 games. T.Y. Hilton had 25 targets, 20 receptions, 195 yards, and four touchdowns in the first 2.5 games of last season. So we saw T.Y. Hilton putting up great numbers when he was healthy, and I'm expecting the same again, and that is why you can sign me up for T.Y. Hilton. I am much higher than him on expert consensus on T.Y. Hilton. I think he's being drafted too low. Mohamed Sanu has hired a full-time coach to live with him this offseason. And I spoke about this stuff in my last episode with Patrick Feast regarding Juju Smith-Schuster. I personally love seeing this type of workout stuff, especially right now because of COVID. We really have no idea what kind of shape some of these players are in. And we have no idea what they've been doing with their time throughout the last couple months. So all these best shape of my life puff pieces that are coming out, where normally experts kind of roll their eyes at them, I think they take on more meaning this year, much more meaning in my opinion. I want to know that players that I draft have been working hard throughout this pandemic because players who show up out of shape, they start slow and they are more likely to get injured. So other experts can make fun of me all they want about taking these usually meaningless offseason prop-up stories seriously, but I think there's value to them. I mean, listen, we're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. And moreover, I also think there's value to knowing that a player has already contracted the coronavirus. I mean, it sounds crazy to say, and it may even be a little cynical or dark, but for fantasy purposes, I think it's great news that Ezekiel Elliott has already contracted COVID. Because if your players get coronavirus this season, they may be required to quarantine for 10 to 14 days. They could miss two games. So while I'm not a doctor, and I have heard that you can get the virus again, I do think it's far less likely. And I see this as a positive factor for Zeke's fantasy outlook that he's already had this virus. And it sucks to be like, oh yeah, Ezekiel Elliott, 1,300 yards, 12 touchdowns. He's contracted the debilitating coronavirus. Yeah, man, you got to love Zeke this year. I mean, it sucks to just kind of bundle that up into fantasy analysis. And I don't mean to joke around about this virus, but I do think it's naive to say that whether a player has tested positive and recovered from it already, and even these reports like Sanu's where he's been working out throughout this pandemic, I think it's naive to say that it doesn't matter. It's important. It's absolutely worth discussing and it's worth evaluating from a fantasy perspective. Such a huge part about winning in fantasy football is taking in new information and making new adjustments to each season. So if you treat this season like any other year, that's just a stubborn losing strategy. If you don't want to play that way, don't play that way. So anyway, that was kind of a rant, but the point of this, the Patriots spent a second round pick on Sanu around midseason last year, and Sanu picked up a number of injuries, so he's taking his health seriously this offseason. If anything, I think this news just serves as a reminder that he's still on the team, and everyone's talking about Julian Edelman and Keel Harry, wondering who's going to end up being Cam Newton's go-to guy. There's nothing that I know uh, to say that it can't be Muhammad Sanu, honestly. we don't, The passing game waters in that offense are a lot muddier than we may perceive. 
And I think Sanu is at least worth a last-round dart throw in the same way Nikhil Harry is. So lastly, Corona updates. While we're on the subject here, a ton of players spoke out on Twitter yesterday using the hashtag WeWantToPlay, criticizing the NFL for not taking safety precautions and not being prepared to start football activities during this pandemic. It's been obvious that, A, the NFL, if they have a plan, they haven't done a great job of sharing plans with the players and the media. And B, it's also possible that they don't have a plan. So anyway, of course this caused conversations about all of the protocols and everything, when this is going to get started. It, it ramped up those conversations. And the players in the league are working on that kind of stuff. They're working on the protocols and procedures and, and health and safety risk. Training camps are supposed to start next week. In fact, rookies are actually supposed to report this week. This is, this is the way that it's been put out that I've seen. It looks like the players are going to get two facilities and work out for about two weeks, make sure they're all healthy, and then they're going to practice for two weeks without pads, and then they're going to practice for something about two weeks with pads or something that, like that. But that doesn't leave really room for preseason. And there are, just, there are just so many issues that need to be resolved from little things like how many players can work out you know, at one station in the workout center at once, or how many times they're going to be tested, to big issues like how many preseason games we're going to play, or if there will be preseason at all. There's so many issues, but I'm going to stick with my guess that I stated a few episodes ago on this podcast. I think that we're going to have one preseason game, and it's probably going to be the last week of April. So anyway, that's a lot of news, uh, but the big ones there, obviously Derrick Henry, A.J. Green, T.Y. Hilton kind of gave evaluations there of them. Let's move on to the Saints fantasy football season preview. Now, if you're a Saints fan in Houdat Nation, one of the first things you may notice about this year's fantasy football slate is that the Saints are the only team with two players that are going in the first round of fantasy football drafts. In fact, Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas are both being selected within the first six picks of expert drafts. They usually go back-to-back around picks four and five. So we're going to start with them. And actually, we're going to go with Kamara here first because he's actually higher on my board than Michael Thomas, primarily due to the importance and scarcity of the running back position when compared to wide receiver, which is arguably deeper than it ever has been. So after two top six running back finishes in the 2017-2018 season, Alvin Kamara finished as RB9 on a points-per-game basis in 15 games last year. I included the playoff game in his sample. He averaged 17.86 points per game. One of the things that makes Alvin Kamara such an attractive fantasy option this year is because it's widely known that Kamara battled a number of injuries last year, and that's why his production was down. Kamara himself said that he was playing on one leg earlier in the offseason. And Saints running back coach Joel Thomas confirmed that Alvin Kamara was playing through knee, ankle, and back injuries last season. And he specifically pointed to that game against the Seattle Seahawks where Alvin Kamara was on absolute legend status. He pointed to that game as the game where Kamara kind of got nicked up. He mentioned that his 75% which is what he said Kamara was playing on, is other people's 100%. So that's why they had Kamara playing through the injuries. Now, I will note that Alvin Kamara is not getting 
an injury discount by the experts this offseason. Alvin Kamara, like I said, average draft position four overall. So normally when a player gets hurt and his production's down, you're going to get somewhat of an injury discount in drafts, and I normally like to scoop up players like that up. However, you're not seeing that with Alvin Kamara. If you want Kamara, you're going to have to take him four or five overall in your fantasy draft. So no injury discount. But speaking of the injuries, Alvin Kamara, a bunch of stats or analytics will lend credence to the fact that he was hurt. Dr. Edwin Porras at FB Fantasy Doc on FantasyPoints.com, he had a great stat about Alvin Kamara. Alvin Kamara's tackles forced per missed touch in weeks one through six. He was the second best in the NFL, 0.319 tackles missed per touch. In weeks 10 through 17, when he actually returned from his injury, he did miss two games last year, Kamara did. He was 39th of 52 running backs with a minimum of X amount of carries. He was only forcing 0.135 tackles missed per touch. So, clearly, Alvin Kamara, tackle-breaking machine, when healthy, because of his incredible balances, his depth of strength, and his quickness. However, he was not himself after sustaining the injuries last season. He was not breaking those tackles at his usual rate, and which is obviously one of the best rates in the league among all players. So yeah, I think the theory behind Kamara having this bounce-back season, besides the fact that we've seen it before, is based on the injuries that he sustained that were preventing him from putting up his usual production. And even if you go outside of the injuries, you can look and see that Kamara, obviously, I think the second best argument for him having a great fantasy season is he is due for positive touchdown regression. Alvin Kamara scored 32 touchdowns in 31 career games going into last season. Last year, Kamara only scored six times. So we can safely expect more touchdowns from Kamara this season. And obviously, touchdowns are quite important in fantasy football. And we also saw some of that touchdown regression toward the end of last season. Kamara scored five times in the final three games when you include playoffs in the sample. So we saw him pick up the touchdown pace towards the end of last season. Another statistic that holds a lot of carries a lot of water in this same respect, is that the Saints had 23 and 26 rushing touchdowns in the 2017-2018 season as a team. Last year, the Saints team only rushed for 12 scores. So you're going to see that number push up closer to 20 in 2017-2018, and Camaro will obviously be a massive benefactor of that. He's always been so great in the red zone. is also in a contract year. He's on a great team, great quarterback, good offensive scheme. He has a top five offensive line returning four or five starters. Kamara's not going to get the workload that Christian McCaffrey does. He's not going to, even guys like Saquon Barkley, Zeke Elliott, Derrick Henry, because the Saints want to preserve him. And he's a little softer than those workhorse backs, let's be honest here. But if there's anyone who can go for a thousand rushing, a thousand receiving, like McCaffrey did last year, it is AK 41. So I'm buying the bounce back. He's my fourth overall pick in PPR formats, and he's fifth, He's my fifth overall pick in non-PPR formats. And in PPR formats, I think a lot of analysts see Barkley and Zeke well ahead of Kamara. I actually don't. I don't have this gap on my draft board or tiers like other experts do after Barkley and Zeke. My tier break is actually after Kamara. 
at least in PPR formats. So let's move on to Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas absolutely shredded in full point PPR leagues last season. He was one of the fantasy football MVPs. He's led the NFL in receptions in consecutive years, and he has three straight seasons of 100-plus catches. Last year, he broke Marvin Harrison's record for most catches in a season with 149. He had 148, excuse me, he had 185 targets last year, over 1,700 yards, nine touchdowns. You can even make the argument that he's due for positive touchdown regression, that he's going to score more times because nine touchdowns with that workload or that target share is actually quite low. And he outscored wide receiver two by 67 points in PPR formats last year. So it wasn't even close. Michael Thomas was that dominant. He only scored fewer than 16.9 fantasy points in two games last year. So basically 17 fantasy points. He only scored fewer than 17 fantasy points in two games last year. One was at Atlanta where he played a season low 39 snaps because the Saints barely had the ball in the fourth quarter thanks to two miraculous onside kick recoveries by Atlanta. And then week 17 at Carolina where he, Michael Thomas rested in the fourth quarter. I'm a tired. 1990. The Saints had already clinched a playoff spot. They already had it locked up. There was no reason for Thomas to be out there. He already had the record for catches. And even still in that game, he was also interfered with twice in the end zone, drawing two DPIs in the end zone. So even those two games, there were obviously great excuses for not putting up his 17 fantasy points per game. I mean, the guy's just a beast. 27 years old. He's in the prime of his career. Some of my favorite Michael Thomas stats last year are his numbers when he actually played with Teddy Bridgewater. I've been game logging for years, and normally when you take a backup quarterback and you look at wide receiver splits with the starter and with the backup, normally receivers have much greater production with the starting quarterback, obviously, for for obvious reasons. But you could barely notice a difference between Michael Thomas's splits with with and without Teddy Bridgewater last year. He averaged 8.4 catches for 110 yards and .6 touchdowns per game in Teddy Bridgewater's five starts. So this kind of shows that he is completely matchup proof, completely quarterback proof. And this is also comforting because obviously Drew Brees is 41 years old. But now the Saints have Jameis Winston as a backup. Famous Jameis, I mean, he is awesome for fantasy football purposes. He is an extremely aggressive passer, and he's going to give Michael Thomas chances if Breeze were to go down. If Breeze were to get hurt again, Michael Thomas would still possess an extremely high floor, and his ceiling with Jameis Winston would be nearly identical. Point is that Michael Thomas's backup quarterback, being Jameis Winston, makes him even more of a lock for high-end wide receiver one production. And he's more, it just makes him more bust-proof to where really the only thing that could push him outside like a top 12 wide receiver or wide receiver one in fantasy football is an injury to himself. And yet, Michael Thomas has been extremely durable throughout his entire career. What I love to see with the receivers, he also has the Matthew Harmon stamp of approval uh, Harmon tweeted, Michael Thomas has been dominant in reception perception for the last two years. In 2008, he had an 82.2% rate 
of success against man coverage and versus the press. It's the top score in his reception perception history. He charts all fantasy-relevant receivers. In 2019, it was 78.6 success rate versus man coverage, 80.4% success rate against press coverage. These are all elite levels right there for Michael Thomas. So the analytics back up Michael Thomas being the best receiver in the game as well. It's worth mentioning that if you want to give the negatives for Michael Thomas's outlook or you want to argue the contrary, it's worth mentioning that the Saints did bring in Emmanuel Sanders. It is Jared Cook's second year with the team. Alvin Kamara should be healthier, and he always commands a heavy target share as well. And as I mentioned, I'm expecting more rushing scores for the Saints this season. So I, I think you can also make a legitimate argument for Devontae Adams out of Green Bay to be the number one fantasy receiver this season because it looks like he's in more of a situation, Adams is, that is similar to Michael Thomas's situation last year where he was the only guy. In fact, the best argument against taking Michael Thomas in fantasy football probably has nothing to do with Thomas himself, but rather that the season kind of sets up for most drafters to be hitting the running back position hard early in drafts. There's a steep drop-off at running back after like round three or four. And there's just so many middle-round receivers going in rounds four through seven, really, that are awesome. And because of the depth at wide receiver, I don't advise opening your draft with two wide receivers in rounds one and two. But there's nothing wrong with going Michael Thomas in round one and then targeting running back in round two. I think it comes down to really how you feel about the Round two running backs like Aaron Jones, Miles Sanders, Nick Chubb, Josh Jacobs, Kenyon Drake. Boy, I'm really starting to dislike the Drake. Hate the Drake. <laughs> Clyde Edwards, Elair. Looked at my kingdom, I was finally there to sit on my throne as the Prince of Bel Air. Because if you're not confident in a few of those guys, or if you don't think they're going to get back to you, let's say it pick 20 overall or pick 19 overall in a 12 team league, if you took Michael Thomas in round one, then, yeah, I could see you hesitating on Michael Thomas and maybe kind of forcing a running back in round, preferring a running back in round one. But the reverse argument is true too. Like in order to pass up on Michael, Tom, on Michael Thomas in round one, you have to love someone like, you know, let's assume Alvin Kamara is gone. You have to love somebody like Derrick Henry or Joe Mixon or Dalvin Cook. So depending on how your board shapes up near the top and considering this from a strategy perspective, given the supply and demand at the running back position, that may be the best reason not to take Michael Thomas in round one, but it really has nothing to do with him as a player. And again, primarily for that reason, or for those reasons, I should say, I do have Alvin Kamara ranked higher than Michael Thomas, despite the way that they both performed last season. So let's move on to Drew Brees. Drew Brees is actually a pretty polarizing pick within the fantasy expert community. He is currently about the 10th quarterback taken on average in drafts. I know a lot of Saints fans are probably sitting there saying, oh my gosh, 10th quarterback taken? You're going to take nine quarterbacks over Drew Brees? I think in local leagues, Drew Brees' average draft position will likely be higher, probably closer to like quarterback eight. I'm going to take an attorney approach to this. As you know, I feel it's very important to give both sides of the narrative. I'm going to argue all the positives and negatives. I'm going to start with the arguments in favor of drafting Drew Brees above, at or above cost, his average draft position of QB10. Drew Brees was incredible last season, and there's no other way to say it. 
Lamar Jackson led the NFL in passing touchdowns with 36 last year. Drew Brees threw 27 touchdowns in 10 games. Drew Brees would have led the NFL in passing touchdowns had he stayed healthy. He, had the, he went down with the thumb injury in week two against the Rams and missed five games after that. So at least five and a half games missed by Drew Brees. Yet he threw 27 touchdowns, only four interceptions. A 27 to four touchdown interception ratio is otherworldly. It's incredible. 7.9 yards per attempt. I love the yards per attempt stat. I, stat. I think that it is a very important stat, not necessarily for fantasy, but just indicative of true great quarterback play. 7.9 yards per attempt is a great number. Obviously, Drew Brees has always been great at completing passes. 74.3% completion percentage is outstanding. 116.3 quarterback rating, also phenomenal. In the regular season, Drew Brees, from a fantasy perspective, put up at least 20 fantasy points in every game that he started and finished, except for the aforementioned Atlanta game at Atlanta. And Matt Schaff, at DS, he works for DraftSharks.com, he had a great tweet. He said, I'm shocked every time someone has Drew Brees outside their top 12 quarterbacks. His fantasy finishes with the Saints, ranking from 2019 down to 2006, 7th, 8th, 10th, 2nd, 6th, 4th, 2nd, 1st, 1st, 6th, 2nd, 1st, 4th, 2nd. That's like 13 years of being a top 10 fantasy quarterback. And some analysts do not have him inside their top 12, which I think is foolish. I am not one of those analysts, but I do understand why Drew Brees is going as low as he is. And I'll get to that in a second. But first, let me keep bragging on the guy. He was fourth. I had him as fourth in fantasy points per game because I excluded his Rams game where he got exited in the first quarter. And I included his playoff game in place of that game just to increase the sample size. And I have him finishing at 21.41 points per game. And that is the quarterback four pace behind Lamar Jackson, Pat Mahomes, and Deshaun Watson. That's it. And yet he's still going at quarterback 10 in fantasy football drafts. So his supporting cast is also outstanding. They have Michael Thomas. They signed Emmanuel Sanders. They have Jared Cook, Kamara out of the backfield. I mentioned the offensive line, returning four or five offensive starters. He drafted an offensive lineman, Cesar Ruiz, in the first round. We also play indoors. There's 11 games in domes this season for Drew Brees. And he's always had better splits in domes or indoors rather than outdoors. And we also play in a division with some high-scoring teams. You have to play Matt Ryan in Atlanta twice. They are a shootout team. You have to outscore Tom Brady twice. Carolina even is a sneaky shootout team to play twice because they feel what projects to be the league's worst defense. And all the resources that they put into their team this offseason were poured into the offensive side of the ball. So there are all there are a ton of positives about drafting Drew Brees. But again, I'm not here to just to paint a pretty picture. And this podcast is about providing both cases for and against drafting players at cost. And I am a Saints fan. This is my home team. And I will admit that. But it's important to avoid bias. So I'll be brutally honest here. It has been difficult for me personally to shake the way that Drew Brees faded at the end of the 2018 season. 
I can't shake it. I can't shake this guy! He's 41 years old, and I think you have to be willing, willfully blind to say that you did not notice his arm declining in the final six games of 2018. He refused to throw the ball downfield. And one of the only passes, or the only two throws that I remember him throwing downfield during that stretch were extremely underthrown passes to Ted Ginn against the Eagles and Rams in the playoffs. And the stats back this take up. In the first 11 games of the 2018 season, Drew Brees had 29 touchdowns and two interceptions. He was thrown for 285 passing yards a game, and he had a 122.4 quarterback rating. In the final six games of the 2018 season, seven touchdowns, five interceptions, 234 passing yards a game, and his quarterback rating was 87.7. That's a below-average quarterback rating in Drew Brees' final six games of the 2018 season, including playoffs. Now, don't get me wrong. I firmly believe that Drew Brees is the most accurate quarterback in the NFL, even right now. I don't believe his arm is quote-unquote shot, but I do believe that He's aged. I believe that his arm gets tired. I'm not tired. And I believe that he loses arm strength as the season progresses. It seems perfectly natural to me. It's not a criticism. But fantasy experts and Saints fans alike seem to be forgetting how he closed out the 2018 season. And I think one of the reasons that they're forgetting about or even dismissing it as irrelevant is because of how he played last season. And this is somewhat controversial, but... My belief is that the only reason his arm didn't get tired, although it sure looked it in the playoff loss to Minnesota, but I won't bring that up. But the only reason I think that his arm lasted throughout the 2019 season is ironically because he got hurt in week two and he did miss games and he only had to play 11 games in 2000 in, instead of 16 or more. And if you go back and look, 11 games is right about the time that his arm strength and his statistics alike dwindled in 2018 and this all leads to the point to where Drew Brees may be fantastic at the start of the season like he has been but I want my fantasy quarterback playing his best ball for the fantasy playoffs weeks 14 through 17 or 15 through 17 however you do it at the end of the season and Drew Brees is again 41 years old there will be decline at some point I do think this will be Drew's last season I personally think we've already seen the decline in the arm strength, at least it getting tired already. And Hayden Winks at Roto World, at Hayden Weeks, he does a good job of backing up this narrative. He says that Drew Brees and Sean Payton are really adapting to his decline in arm strength. Here are Drew Brees' average depth of targets over the last year. That is the average amount of yards that his passes traveled over the last years. From 2009 to 2014, Drew Brees' A dot was 8.0 yards. From 2015 to 2018, it dropped down to 7.6 yards. That's not a huge decrease from 2015 to 2018. But yet in 2019, Drew Brees' A dot, his average depth of target was 6.5 yards. The Saints ranked 30th in percentage of passes that traveled at least 20 yards downfield last season. 30th. Just about 8% of Drew Brees' throws traveled 20 or more yards downfield. And 
there's that Taysom Hill issue. And you may be, you may not consider it a huge issue, but it is certainly a factor in fantasy football. Speaking of Pro Football Talk Live a few months ago, Drew Brees said that he's open to seeding more snaps to Taysom Hill. And if it means that Taysom Hill is taking, quote-unquote, 30 snaps a game, 25 snaps a game, so be it. I'm all for that. Now, of course, all those snaps are not going to be at quarterback. And of course, also, you have to acknowledge maybe it's a little bit of an exaggeration. But I think it's somewhat concerning because Taysom Hill was already going to vulture some of Drew Brees' touchdowns in the red zone last year. He was already going to vulture a few of them. But we're looking at a situation where it sounds like he's not only not going away, but potentially being even more involved in this offense. And even if he steals a few touchdowns from inside the five-yard line, it's hurtful. Sean Payton obviously loves Taysom Hill. But I think part of Payton's process on using Taysom Hill so much is actually to limit the live reps in an effort to preserve Drew Brees' health and arm strength to where Drew Brees still has his fastball in December and January when this stuff counts. So although Taysom Hill might be on the receiving end of some Drew Brees touchdowns, overall, I think Drew, I think Hill is a net negative for Drew Brees' impact or Drew Brees' fantasy outlook because even a few touchdowns that Hill takes away or rushes for inside the five-yard line is pretty hurtful to Drew Brees' bottom stat line. Another thing to expect here is I mentioned already that we can expect more rushing touchdowns from the Saints. Mike Clay at Mike Clay NFL for ESPN.com, he explained that the Saints offense scored 74% of its touchdowns through the air last season, and that's not far off the 71% expected rate based on play calling. However, both marks were the highest for a Drew Brees and Sean Payton-led offense since 2013. So it's fair to expect more balanced play calling, especially near the goal line in 2020, and that's good news for Kamara and Latavius Murray and not great news for Drew Brees. Lastly, another reason to kind of temper Drew Brees' fantasy expectations is because if you think the Saints are going to be a good team or even a great team, then you definitely believe that the Saints are going to have a lot of positive game scripts and Drew is not going to be forced to throw as much as he has in the past or as much as the other quarterbacks ranked ahead of him in fantasy football. Even guys like Matt Ryan, who I talked about on the last episode, Matt Ryan doesn't have a defense. He doesn't have a running game like New Orleans does. Another issue is the lack of the rushing floor. Unlike every quarterback drafted above Drew Brees, Aside from Matt Ryan, Brees has no rushing floor to aid his fantasy production. So with all that said, I get why he's down there at quarterback 10. I do think it's foolish to leave Drew Brees outside your top 12 quarterbacks. I do think he's a quarterback one for fantasy purposes, but I'm also not reaching for him either. I'm right about where the consensus is on Drew Brees. I'm not really finding him on a lot of my teams in early mocks. Because I think the position is very deep. So in non-superflex leagues, I think you can make a strong case for waiting even longer on a quarterback or even streaming the position. But overall, my biggest fear for fantasy is that Drew Brees looks like a great pick early on, but dwindles when it matters most for the fantasy playoffs. In part, because I think the Saints are going to be a lot better running football team 
and score a lot more touchdowns via the run than they had last year. And because I think their defense is much better than it has been in the past when Drew Brees was this dominant fantasy producer. So I think all of those factors, including Taysom Hill as well, cap his fantasy football ceiling. Obviously, I'll be rooting against all of that because I would like to see him win another Super Bowl in what I believe is his final season. So let's move on to Jared Cook. And I have some strong opinions about Jared Cook's fantasy outlook. I'll say this first. In Jared Cook's final nine games, this is what you need to know. Weeks 10 through 18, including the one playoff game that we shall not mention, Jared Cook had 43 targets, 33 receptions, 591 yards, and seven scores. He averaged 65.6 receiving yards a game in the final nine games. And this is from, this isn't just a random number that I came up with. This is from when Drew Brees returned from his injury throughout the rest of the season. So once Drew Brees got back, Jared Cook put up 14.9 points per game. And that was tight end two pace. Tight end two. Behind Travis Kelsey, ahead of George Kittle. And that's the relevant sample you want to look at. Because if you're looking at his full season, where you include his first four games, where he produced or he contributed absolutely nothing to the box scores and looked like a total flop, and you also include the games that he played with Teddy Bridgewater, he's no longer with the team, then his final ranks of 11.86 points per game, that finishes at the tight end nine. But the relevant sample has Jared Cook finishing as tight end two. Right now, he's going at tight end 10. I personally have have him as my tight end 6. So I'm much higher on Jared Cook than the experts in the fantasy community are. Nick Underhill did a good job of highlighting Jared Cook's upsides in his article, neworleans.football.com. Nick is found at Nick underscore Underhill on Twitter. And he says that the Saints believe Jared Cook will emerge as a one-on-one nightmare this year. Quote-unquote, we're going to hurt you. There's nobody in this league that can cover him. And to that point, Michael Thomas, after the season he had last year, is going to draw so much defensive attention it's not even funny. And yes, the Saints did bring in Emmanuel Sanders. Yes, Michael Thomas will still be a target hog. Yes, Alvin Kamara will get his. And all of this will lower Cook's floor. He's not going to have, he's probably not going to be tight end two. He's probably not going to have a Kittle and Travis Kelsey season. He will be inconsistent, but I think he has double-digit uh, double touchdown upside with a quarterback who has a lengthy history of succeeding with his tight ends. Dating back to the days uh, when Drew Brees was with Antonio Gates in San Diego, he had Jeremy Shockey in, in New Orleans when he came here, Jimmy Graham for so many years All-Pro, Kobe Fleener. Psych! That's the wrong number! I'm just kidding. Ben Watson and even Jared Cook himself down the stretch last season. Drew Brees has always had his tight ends flourish under his watch. And I think that the fantasy community as a whole is generally forgetting how athletic Jared Cook is 
and just kind of ignoring how he finished last season. I mean, tight end two in the final nine games with Drew. What am I missing? Why is that being swept under the rug like it just never happened? He's in a great situation, and I just don't personally understand the logic of Cook not being drafted like at least as, like as a top eight tight end. I mean, again, he's tight end six in my rankings, but I have him just ahead of Darren Waller and far ahead of Evan Ingram in my rankings. And and the fact that Hunter Henry and Rob Gronkowski are being drafted ahead of Jared Cook by most experts is absolutely appalling and mind-boggling. It, it truly blows my mind. Like, I'm totally perplexed by it. And somebody needs to explain that to me like I'm five years old. Before I get to the rest of my fantasy-relevant Saints players, I wanted to let everybody know that this team preview is on the podcast because this is the team uh, for so many of my listeners. They are Saints fans. They are local. But I will be doing all other team-by-team breakdowns for the 31 other teams throughout the month of August on my Instagram, at FantasyLawGuy. I thought about trying to cram the previews in this podcast, but I felt it was best to keep the podcast episodes about bigger picture stuff and and more entertaining and fun things rather than team previews. So if you're more of a serious fantasy football player and you want my team previews for the other 31 teams, because there's for sure a bunch of valuable information to be had in them as well, just as there is in this one. And trust me, I follow the other 31 teams just as much as I follow the Saints. I don't give the Saints any home team preference in terms of my fantasy evaluations. So if you're looking for more detailed analysis on each team and each play, each fantasy-relevant player on that team, you can just follow me on Instagram, at FantasyLawGuy. I'll be churning out these team previews on my Insta stories throughout the month of August. So please tune into those. And now let's get back to the later Saints players. Emmanuel Sanders. Average draft position, wide receiver 43. He goes around picks 100 to 120, I've seen. And Sanders actually had a pretty solid season last year, considering he posted a 66, 869, and 5 line, despite being 32 years old, and also despite changing teams midseason, some midseason trade, and especially despite coming off the torn Achilles injury. He closed out the season with just one week higher than wide receiver 49 over his final eight games. That's a stat by Rich Rebar. But again, people with Achilles injuries, that's very common for them not to regain full explosiveness, not to produce great fantasy statistics in year one post-surgery. So heading to the Saints, it's unclear whether Sanders is going to be a full-time slot receiver, a la Willie Sneed a better version, hopefully, or take Ted Ginn's kind of clear-out role. He was more of the former in Denver and more of the latter in San Francisco. And I think we're going to move him around. But I see him as... I see him as more valuable in real life than I see him in fantasy football this season. Is this the real life? Is 
fantasy. It's mainly because of target share, but he also may start slow because of the COVID shortened offseason. How many reps are Drew Brees and Manuel Sanders going to get? Do they have time to build a rapport? These are things we don't really know. I see Sanders as the third or fourth option on this team behind Michael Thomas, behind Kamara, possibly behind Jared Cook on for most weeks at least. And when I'm picking in the hundreds, I'm kind of looking for high ceiling players. And I think it would take a Michael Thomas injury for Sanders to really hit that kind of mark. I do think that one of either Emmanuel Sanders or Jared Cook is going to outperform their average draft positions. But I think it's smarter to value the continuity this season. So I'm betting on Cook ahead of Sanders. All right, let's move on to Latavius Murray. He is being drafted as RB45 on average, an average draft position of the 120 to 130 range. So on the surface, this seems like a bargain because Latavius Murray was drafted a lot higher in fantasy football last season because we really didn't know if he was, I should say a lot of people actually assumed that he was going to assume the Mark Ingram role. And Murray showed, unfortunately, that he had next to no standalone value in fantasy football last year. He finished the season with 9.5 points per game, RB30 pace last year. But it's important to understand that Latavius Murray's numbers were massively inflated by two games where he started while Kamara was out. In week seven against the Bears, where Kamara sat out 27 carries, 119 yards, two touchdowns, six targets, five receptions, 31 receiving yards, 32 fantasy points in that game. He was the lead dog with Kamara sideline, and he had a great game. And then in week eight, Kamara also missed 21 carries, 102 yards, and a score. 12 targets for Latavius Murray in that game. Nine catches, 55 yards, and one touchdown. 36.7 fantasy points against the Cardinals. They're barely their defense. So Latavius Murray was not really in a timeshare without Alvin Kamara. But if you take out those two games out of that, those two games that Kamara missed out of Murray's season-long sample, you're looking at only 6.1 points per game rather than 9.5 points per game. And 6.1 points per game is minimal production. It's waiver wire production in fantasy football, especially in PPR leagues. So yeah, you can't really start him with any confidence as long as Kamara is playing. And so it's less of a one-two punch than I think a lot of people realize. And Murray, in my opinion, is purely a handcuff for Alvin Kamara. Other than those two games that I just described where Kamara was out, Murray never had more than 10 carries in another game. And he never saw more than three targets in another game. So the usage, aside from those monster games, was low. And now... Even his every down roll, if Kamara were to get hurt, comes into question because the Saints signed Ty Montgomery. And Larry Holder, beat writer for the Saints, he works for The Athletic, he mentioned that Ty Montgomery seems like a clear alternative to Kamara if the Saints' top back gets banged up. Murray would remain number two on the depth chart, of course, but Montgomery would be used similar to Kamara if he sustained an injury. So you could kind of foresee... If Kamara were to go down again, that 
Ty Montgomery would likely take the passing game role. So when you couple this with the fact that Alvin Kamara is such a monster in the red zone, it's hard to see Murray as anything but a Kamara handcuff. And I'm treating him as such in drafts. All right, we're going to wrap this up here with the kicker. Yeah, we're going to go, we're going deep here. We're talking about Will Lutz, the kicker in fantasy football for the Saints, and the New Orleans Saints defense. So real quickly, Will Lutz, Will Lutz being drafted as K3 this year. So the third kicker off the board behind Chiefs kicker, Harrison Butt kicker, and that's what I call him at least, and Ravens Justin Tucker. So Will Lutz generally third kicker off the board. Last season, I got kicker splits for you. Yeah, this is this is going deep here. With Drew Brees, Will Lutz averaged 10.7 points per game in fantasy. And without Drew Brees, 8.6 points per game. That's a two-point difference. Doesn't sound like much. In terms of kickers, it actually is a lot. And 10.7 points per game last year ranked as K2 in points per game, as kicker number two in points per game last year, Will Lutz with Drew Brees. So obviously plays indoors. I think I mentioned earlier that the Saints play 11 of their 16 games indoors this season. Potent offense for the Saints, also a good defense, a winning team, so they're going to have positive game scripts. These are the types of kickers you want. You won't have to worry about Will Lutz getting phased out of the game if the Saints are trailing a lot by a lot or multiple scores in the second half where teams go for it more on fourth downs or they uh, go for more touchdowns rather than field goals. Will Lutz is a player on a winning team that you want. He's a player on a team with a good offense, with a good quarterback. Uh, He plays in a dome. I mean, there's a bunch of reasons to like Will Lutz. And as I mentioned on my last episode, He's usually the Saints player that I end up with on most of my, really more than any other Saints players, in most of my local drafts, because in local drafts, all of these Saints fans that I'm drafting with are drafting these players higher than their ADP, and so I want some Saints exposure, so a cheap way to get Saints exposure and keep rooting for the Saints to score and put up points on the board is by taking their kicker in the last two rounds. And that's what I like to do with Will Lutz. Though I do think I will have many Jared Cook shares on my teams as well because he seems to be the Saints player that I am a lot higher than expert consensus on. Uh, Let's move on to the New Orleans Saints defense. Not a ton to say about them. They finished as the DST 8 last year, and they averaged 8.0 points per game in ESPN formats. Uh, they had four defensive touchdowns last year, which is a little on the high number, and you can kind of look for that to regress. Uh, but they did add Zach Bond, outside linebacker, in the draft. He was a borderline, friend, or I should say fringe first-round, second-round type prospect who went lower in the draft because of a diluted uh, urine sample on his drug test. So, But yeah, great talent. Zach Bond really bolsters the Saints linebacking core. Uh, they added Malcolm Jenkins, so uh, but they did he replaces Von Bell. We still have three good safeties there. Uh, two really good cornerbacks in Marshawn Lattimore and Janoris Jenkins. Demario Davis is a, obviously should be an all-pro. And Cam Jordan, one of the best defenders and really players in the National Football League. I've, and then Marcus Davenport, Sheldon Rankins, we hope to keep having them developed, and we hope that they can stay healthy. So, yeah, on paper, the Saints look to have a for sure a top 10 defense. But again, fantasy 
football production from the defensive side is about getting those turnovers, getting those defensive touchdowns, getting those sacks. I think the Saints will be able to do that. We will have a winning team, so usually teams that win more often allow the Saints to kind of, the pass rushers to kind of pin their ears back and not worry about the running game. Although I should say that, should mention that the Saints have been excellent in the run against the run in the last couple of years. I also want to mention that another big factor in terms of fantasy defense production is obviously your schedule. The Saints don't have a very favorable fantasy schedule. Uh, We open up with Tom Brady uh, against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, so that's just a tough matchup to immediately play the Saints. So I do think the Saints will end up on a lot of waiver wires, but they are startable the next week at Las Vegas against Derek Carr. Um, There are a number of games that I would feel comfortable looking at the schedule. There are a number of games I would feel comfortable starting the Saints defense against. We play the Raiders. We play the Chargers. We play the Bears. We play the Broncos. You can make the argument that the Saints defense is a nice start against Carolina twice. However, I will mention that the Saints do have some tough opponents on their schedule. They're not going to be one of those defenses where you always feel good about starting them. Obviously, we have to play Tampa twice, Atlanta twice. Uh, the Eagle at Philadelphia is on our schedule. The Pat Mahomes Chiefs is on our schedule. The Vikings had a pretty good offense last year. Um, even I, I, Detroit is on our schedule. The Packers are on our schedule. So, yeah, I mean, this is – It seems like they're going to inevitably be a matchup-based streaming option for the Saints. All right, that will conclude the Saints fantasy football team breakdown. I do have a fantasy nugget of the show. It is Saints-themed, so let's get to that before we sign off. All right, we're keeping it hoodat for the fantasy nugget of the show. This one is about Alvin Kamara. And a lot of you may already know this, but I find it very unique. Alvin Kamara has caught exactly 81 passes in each of his first three seasons. 81 catches as a rookie in 2017. 81 catches in 2018, year two. And he had 81 catches last season despite missing two games. So three seasons for Alvin Kamara. Three seasons with 81 catches on the mark. I guess that has to be my projection for the 2020 season as well. But that is the nugget. All right, that will conclude today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be doing other fantasy team previews just like this. As I mentioned on Instagram throughout the month of August, you can follow me at Fantasy Law Guy for access to those previews. If you like what you heard today, please, please, please subscribe to this podcast and please give me a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, assuming you did like what you hear, of course. Tell all your friends, help spread the word so this young podcast can grow. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Who next?